Good morning. Whoa, all right. Can you hear the difference? I'm just going to stand back here again this week because they added more above my head where I usually stand. So, um, hey, will you thank our worship team and Ginger for bringing us the service up to this point? And I want to give a special thank you to uh, two guys that um, you didn't hear about earlier, Kurt Butler and TJ Grutzmacher. I hope I said that right, TJ. Uh, They have been working and working and working along with many volunteers to put up these speaker stacks and, and get this whole thing set up for us. That's Kurt Butler of Butler Engineering and Technology Group, I believe. But will you please give them a hand? They're here. They're up there. I mean, you didn't expect a couple guys that worked on speakers to be down here, did you? They're in the sound booth right now. So uh, just so you know, over the next um, few weeks, they'll be working on tuning this. And so uh, I put in a request that when we read scripture, like you get the the deep God voice echo going through here. Um, And then my request for the water slide for baptisms, like I haven't heard any update on it. So... I don't know. I'll keep, I'll keep pushing for that. So anyway, um, thank you to them. And thank all of you for coming out. I honestly thought it's going to be me and the online audience today because everybody's going to stay home and stay warm. So it's good to see everybody here in person. Those of you online, I will tell you the sound system is so incredible. It's actually going to boost whatever you're listening on. So probably not. But anyway, um, thank you for being here. Hey, I want to share a story with you is one of my favorite, favorite experiences. And that's saying something because I've been here for a little while, but one of my favorite experiences ever here at this church, it was uh, not long before the pandemic hit. And we have, you may or may not know, we have a youth theater group that um, uses space here a few times a year. And so they set up in the chapel next door and they were they were getting everything set up, and they had a practice going on, and I just happened to show up at the church, and I was walking through the entry of the chapel over there, and I decided to just poke my head in, you know, because they're building sets and all kind of stuff, and so I'm looking around in there, and this, this lady I'd never seen before walks up, and she's like, well, hello. Welcome to Audience of One, and welcome to West Bowls. And I was like, should I say anything? And she said, it looks like you're new. Let me show you around. And I was like, we're going to go with this, all right? Let's just see what we discover. And so she said, this is this, this blue room. She called it the blue room over in the chapel there. This blue room is where, uh, I don't know, I think some services happen, but we have plays in here. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> Keep walking. She said, and up here, they have coffee bar. And I went, oh man. And she said, but there's one thing I don't get about it. And she walks me around the coffee bar. And if you've been to the coffee bar, you know, there's a little counter that flips up so you can go in and go out. She didn't put this together. And so she, um, she said, I don't, the thing I don't get is they make you have to like bend it down to get into the coffee bar. I was like, okay, I'm still not going to say anything because I want to make her feel dumb. And, uh, takes me into the library. She's like, they have a bookstore in here. And, and the whole time I said, do you go here? And she's like, oh, no, I, I don't go here. 
And I was like, huh, I wonder what the sanctuary's like. She's like, I don't know, I've never been over there. And I was like, I bet the staff and pastor here are incredible. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that, but <laughs> I did think it. I did think it. Here's my point. I mean, I, I got a little mini tour of everything but like our main building here, okay? And so I got to see the, do you know we have a gym? Yeah, we have a gym. We have a basement. We've got all kinds of stuff around here. It is very difficult to let ourselves be led, isn't it? I mean, isn't it hard to just like shut your mouth when you feel like maybe you know better? Or maybe, maybe you do, but, you know, it's just so hard to be quiet. It's so hard to just restrain that part of ourselves that thinks, I'm in charge, I want to I wanna assert my authority, right? And, and it's a very human thing. Because as you look around your life, what do you do? You, you tend to think, well, it hasn't been perfect, but I've gotten myself to here, right? But there's a few issues with that. See, one of the issues is we can only see up to now, Right? And so we don't know if we've got what we need to be able to handle what is coming, what's in the future, what we haven't seen yet. Number two, and it's tied to that, eventually a problem or an issue is going to come along where we are going to need something more than ourselves, aren't we? But the other difficult part about this dynamic is that we tend to think we've done a pretty decent job. And so we, we think we've done such a, such a decent job that we should maybe look around and start telling other people how to do it. And the reason I bring all that up is because that's really the situation when we get to Mark, the end of Mark chapter 11. Okay, if you don't remember from last week, Jesus has been in the temple, and, and when he saw what was going on in the temple, we, we read of him turning over tables. We read of him stopping what was going on. In other words, it, it was this, this passage that we're aware of from the Old Testament, that zeal for his father's house would consume him. And we saw Jesus full of zeal, turning over tables. And so it's, it's just after that that we're going to pick up this morning. And one of the things we're going to see is Jesus is dealing with those who considered themselves authorities, the religious authorities. And the religious authorities not only viewed themselves as authorities, but they also thought that they ought to walk around and tell everybody else how life should be lived and how life should be done. And so that's where we're going to pick up. And, and it's interesting because these, these guys who, you know, when, when you get to reading, especially in the Gospels, you start to think, man, these guys just like never get it right. They, they have the word of God and yet they still seem to never get it right. Well, when we pick up this morning, they actually land on a question it's the right question. Now, their intent with the question was to trap Jesus, but it's a question for you and I as well. Let me read it to you. This is Mark chapter 11, verse 27. They arrived again, this is Jesus and his disciples, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. Verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? And these things that they're referencing was the turning over of the tables and teaching what Jesus was teaching. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Now, I want you to imagine if that question were asked of you, right? The first question, we've got that church answer, right? By what authority is Jesus doing these things? We know, right? It's his Father in heaven. That's the authority, as God. That's the authority he's doing it. But then they ask this question that's worth asking ourselves. 
Who gave you? Who gave Jesus authority to do what he does? See, as he went through their temple and he turned over the tables, I can't help think of us as the temple, right? We've read the body is a temple. Who gave Jesus authority to show up in our lives and maybe have to turn over some tables that we've set up in the heart and maybe teach some things that maybe go against what we've always thought or what we've always believed? Who gives him that authority? And see, that's a question that every single one of us has to answer. Will I give him authority? Will I stop being Lord of my life and allow him to be Lord of my life? And so as I, as I just read through his answer, I gotta, I, I'm just going to make a confession. This sermon basically got to notes mode <laughs> this morning. Because as I went through his answer, and, and he includes a parable, so this happens a lot with parables, they're so rich. There is so much in them that there were just, just things being illuminated left and right. And so I realized that, that what we have here are a bunch of implications. What we get is really the holding up of two different lives that each of us could live. There's a life in which we, we walk through and we're the Lord of our lives and we're our own authority. Or there's a picture of life when it gives authority over to Jesus. And so I just want to walk through those this morning. I, like I said, these were my own notes and observations. And if you've got the sermon notes, if you grabbed a, a, what we printed on the bulletin, um, you can fill that out. But as we walk through, I just want you to notice with me <clears throat> the difference of a life under his authority or as our own authority. Verse 29 says this, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He's doing the Jesus thing now, right? Jesus was so brilliant at when asked a question, he could turn around and he could say, well, here's what your question's actually getting at, and let me ask you a question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. John the Baptist. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Tell me. Now, why would Jesus point at John the Baptist? And the reason is because they had overlooked John the Baptist. John had this ministry that, if you remember, it prepared the way for Jesus. John's message was repent, turn around, get aimed at him. See, the first implication of a life uh, of under his authority or as our own authority is this. It's really this. I'm part of his plans, or he's part of mine. Now, could both of those be true? Absolutely. But our starting point, our starting point, the starting point of John's ministry was I'm going to prepare the way for him. That God's plans and what he's up to are much, much bigger than my plans and what I'm up to. It's this, I, I don't need to go do something amazingly huge for God because he's already up to something amazingly huge. I can join in on it. And this is John's ministry. He's saying, look, you're either going to view it as God can, can play a piece, he can play a part in your plans, or you can join in on his and what he's up to. I mean, these, this is a group of guys, and you've probably done this too. Maybe not this specific example, but they'd go out and they'd probably tell the sun, hey, why are you shining at an hour I have not approved of? Right? Ocean, why are you splashing? 
where I said, where, where I didn't say you could. Or this morning, you, you probably thought, temperature. <laughs> Why have you lowered yourself to, to a discomfort zone for me, right? We, we tend to think so much of ourselves that God just join in on, on what I'm doing and what I'm comfortable with. You move through it. We get to the next implication. Verse 31, they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask then, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, and we get a little parenthetical note here, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Did you catch that? We don't know. I mean, these are the priests. These are the teachers of the law. These are the answer people. And yet, we don't know. Wait, wait, wait. You, you are the ones that were interpreting what God is up to for all the people. You don't know? We don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. See, the second implication of either being our own authority or giving him authority over our lives is that we'll either fear God or fear people. The reason these guys didn't know is because they revered what people thought of them so much. They feared the people. And it's interesting because all the people held who John was, but the teachers of the law, they said, no, 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 <laughs> that's, that's not part of our plans. That, that's not our picture of what we thought it should be. And so, we don't know. <clears throat> See, fear of God, you know what it'll get you? It'll get you perspective on everything. Fear of people, you want to know what that gets you? Perspective on nothing. Years ago when we worked with the, the youth here, the high schoolers specifically, once in a while, uh, I'd have one approach, and they'd say, Nathan, or they'd approach one of our leaders, and this question would come up a lot. <clears throat> Is it okay, like if there's a party going on on Friday, and, and there's alcohol there, can I, it's okay if I, have a drink. I mean, nobody would know. There's no police there. At least I don't think you'd invite the police to that. But anyway, you know, there, there's not going to be anything, anything that would, like, put me in danger. And, and it's so interesting where this conversation would always go. Because we'd ask them, well, well, what do you think? And what do you know to be true? I mean, when you read about what God thinks of you, when you read about the body as a temple, when you read about all that stuff, when you think about his love for you and the way he can satisfy and fulfill the soul, what do you think you ought to do? And the thing that would come up as we got through conversation was rarely that they didn't know what to do. The issue was what people thought. See, there is this battle going on in, inside all of us. It's either going to be a fear of God and we hold up what he says, or fear people, and what people think of us. And so, Jesus brings them back. He brings us back. He said, look, if you have made him Lord of your life, then there is a fear of God that will steer everything else. But if you decide, I'm going to be my own authority, you're constantly going to be gauging, well, what are people going to think, and what are, what's the perception of me? And you're going to waver. We're all going to waver if we haven't made that decision. Implication number three. 
and now this is Jesus is now going to get into a parable here and this is where parables just get so rich this is why this is moving toward a message but I thought man there are so many observations and so many insights here chapter 12 verse 1 Jesus then began to speak to them in parables and the disciples who were with him who were who were looking on and listening on would have immediately gone oh we've heard these before that means there's something in this for us as well, and there's something in there for you and me, even though he spoke to the teachers of the law and the chief priests and the elders. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Now, as you begin to think through the history of God's people, and as they began to think through the history of God's people, they would have recognized this. They would have gone, oh, this vineyard is Israel. And yet as I read this, I also think this vineyard is the soul as well, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've been given something, but notice the question, or notice the word he uses. He rented the vineyard. He rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. You want to know what implication number three is of making him your authority or being your own authority? It's the distinction between leading a life as a steward or as an owner. You've heard it, stewardship or ownership. See, the truth is we are not our own, are we? God has given us gifts. God has wired us specific ways. God has poured out into our lives his gifts. And the owner says, that's mine. The owner somehow thinks, I bought it, it's mine, I can use it as I please. I mean, have you ever rented anything before? Okay, if you haven't, go out and rent something today. I don't care if you rent a shovel from Home Depot, because what is your thinking when you rent something? You take care of it. You take care of it. You use it the way it's intended to be used, right? Yeah, so as, as we look around, as we even see this language, Jesus is, is really subtly, with one word, he's saying, look, he didn't, he didn't sell it to him. He rented it to him. So are we owners or are we stewards of our time and all that God's poured out in our lives? There is a major, major difference in how we'll operate. In fact, one of the things here at the church, just a, a value that we've, we've really begun to embrace more and more, and I'm seeing it, is this idea of health here at the church. And the way we've defined that is, is health, health in ourselves, health in, in the way we go about ministry, health in how we deal with other people, is that it's from his provision, within his boundaries, for his glory. Do you want to know what the life of a steward is? I mean, as you think about your soul, as you think about the church, as you think about ministry, as you think about the people God's put in front of you, it's stewardship. It's stewardship. They're not mine. I don't own them. You know, I, I was sitting with some pastors, and, and one pastor said to me, um, Nathan, with your people, and in my head I thought, whose people? I, I don't want that authority. I mean, I, I couldn't handle that. None of us could actually handle that level of authority. I think the phrase just bugged me. I don't know. I walked away. Anyway, so, um, but what is that in us, right? We live in a culture that says take ownership, right? And I can get the good-hearted intent behind that. But we're stewards. 
We're stewards. That means I'm going to view this thing exactly the way God views it, and I'm going to love and utilize others the way God intends. Implication number four. Verse two, at harvest time, this is the owner, at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Now, implication number four here is this emphasis on roots or results. Did you catch the word that was in there? Could we back up a slide? Sorry. Okay, one more slide. My fault. <laughs> At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit. Do you want to know what God has an eye to? Of course he has an eye to every single one of us. But he says, what's the fruit? What is the fruit? Remember last, last week, we talked about the fig tree in the temple, and then suddenly Mark takes us back to the fig tree in the temple, and we're looking at the fig tree again. God is looking for fruitfulness. And, and when we begin to recognize that that's what God is looking for, you know what you begin to do? You begin to emphasize something different. See, we walk in a world that says, what are the results? What are the outcomes? What have you done? What have you accomplished? What have you achieved? And yet God goes, no, 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 what's the fruit? Question, how do you, how do you get fruit to grow? I mean, do you, do you go buy apples from the store and tie them up on your tree branches and say you have an apple tree? No, hopefully not, right? No, you, you grow fruit by taking care of the roots, don't you? And we cultivate. And, and we, there's a process of growth that goes on that we cannot see, we can only trust is happening. Okay, as a former lawn guy, I mean, I love to plant grass seed, okay, whenever there's a bear patch, and this is, don't call me a nerd, okay, but I will sit there, and I'll just like watch it, and every day I'm out there, and it hasn't sprouted up yet, and about two weeks in, when you're about to give up and think you're the world's worst at, at planting seeds, you know what happens? There's growth, but the second you dig into that, and you try to see what's going on, what happens? You kill it. You absolutely kill it. Implication number four of making Jesus authority or being your own authority is you're going to emphasize the roots or you're going to emphasize the results. Implication number five. Sorry, let me jump back one. I came across a quote from St. Vincent de Paul. He's a French priest, and he talks about this idea that human success is not the measure of whether our choices are right. Isn't that interesting? See, St. Vincent de Paul, one of the things that he really emphasized from the life of Jesus is that he was ridiculed and he was abandoned. I mean, we all saw it that final night of his life. All his followers left. One person wrote one time that Jesus may have been the worst small group leader who ever lived if you go off the last night of his life. Now, clearly he, <laughs> he took care of things, right? But oftentimes we forget this. We think whatever's big, whatever's just massively exploding, that, oh, that must be where God is. Human success is not the measure of whether our choices are right. Moving on to verse 4 of chapter 12. Then he sent another servant to them. And now they're going to be maybe recognizing, oh, God has been sending people to Israel. God has been sending people over time. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He, still sent, he sent still another, and that one they killed. 
He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. And no doubt, what would have come to mind were the prophets of the past who were mistreated, they were martyred, they were beaten, they were tortured. I mean, you read all about them in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews details them over and over. Implication number five, the recognition or the rejection of God's pursuit of us. The recognition or the rejection of his pursuit of, it, of us. See, wicked people, wicked people, the wicked at heart, expect to profit by removing the righteous. And the removal of the righteous doesn't declare the, the value of what somebody was, especially in this parable, in the histories you look across Scripture. It doesn't. Are you guys familiar with Tony Hawk? All right, like greatest skateboarder who's ever skated the earth, okay? He was like a pioneer. So Tony Hawk, he's got this Twitter account, and it's, his posts have become almost exclusively the places he goes, and he's Tony Hawk. But the really interesting thing is he's retired from skateboarding. You know, there are, there are new, younger names now. But he goes to airports, and he travels, and he'll still go do some speaking and stuff like that. And he said mostly in the airports, what will happen is, like TSA, he'll go through security, and they'll go, hey, uh, you look like Tony Hawk. And his answer is like something along the lines of, I've heard that before. And he said one time a TSA agent said, I wonder what he's up to now. And Tony Hawk said, this. <laughs> and the guy said, what? He said, I am Tony Hawk. Guess what the response was? No, you're not. So you go to his Twitter account and you can just read about this happening over and over and over at skate parks and everything else. He's the guy who is who he, who he is and yet nobody believes it. And this is what was happening over time as God was sending his prophets. He was going to people. He's saying, look, I am after you. I am pursuing you out of my love for you. And they didn't recognize it. Even worse, they rejected it. <clears throat> implication, <clears throat> excuse me, implication, Numbers, number six. In verse six, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. I mean, how, how backwards is this thinking? But still, it's just the most foolish of plans. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out in the vineyard. You want to know why? Because they had the same thinking that we get in our human nature of earning. If I could just, if I could just get the obstacles out of the way, they thought the inheritance is mine. The inheritance would be mine. You know what this implication is? It's the implication that we are either the provider for our lives or we operate from provision in our lives. That is, God gave us provision in the form of his son, a savior. We can operate from that provision and in him we have an inheritance, but without him we've got nothing. And that's a provider mentality. That says, no, nope. I can do it without him. I can have it without him. 
And this was their fatal mistake. Their fatal mistake is that they somehow thought they could have the inheritance without the heir. And yet Paul details for us that when you trust in Christ and what he did at the cross, you know what you gain? You become an heir to the inheritance. You become a child of God. You get all the blessings that heaven has to offer. There's a major difference. But we like to go provider thinking and think, I can do it on my own. I don't need a savior. Jesus says, oh yeah, you do. Oh yeah, you do. If you will make me the authority, you have a share of the inheritance and it is abundant and it is more than enough. Implication number seven. What then, in verse nine, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? And this comes out of Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you not read that, he said to him? And this is the reminder that there are two ways through life. Two ways through life. And these don't exactly sound great to begin. You can go through life broken or crushed. And, and the reason I say that is actually a statement that Jesus makes in Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, he says this. He's referencing this cornerstone. He says, And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The one who falls on this stone will be, did you catch the word, broken. But the one on whom it falls, crushed. All it took and, and you've, you've heard me share about this before. All it took was going to my 20th high school reunion to get a reminder that life kicks everybody. You know, you remember those high school years and, or even you look on social media and it looks like they've just, it, that person's got a, a great life going on. Go to a reunion. If you get a chance, go to one of your reunions down the road. You know what you discover? Life has kicked everybody. And you can either be crushed by it if you're your own authority or if you've given him your authority, you can be broken. You know what God does with broken pieces? He puts them back together. And he puts them back together the way he intended. See, the one who has Jesus as authority in their life understands that brokenness, though we'd like to avoid it, though we'd like to avoid it, is what brings us closer to him. But to be our own authority is to be crushed. It's to overlook the foundation stone upon which the building is held together. And without that stone, it falls. It all falls down. Couple to go. Implication number eight. Then the chief priests, verse 12, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Did you catch that? Against them. You want to know what implication number eight is? Jesus' words. If he is your authority, they're for you. If you are your authority, they are against you. They are. And not because he doesn't love you but it's because it just doesn't work if he's not the authority. Do you remember the words of Job? Job, after all Job had gone through, this incredible statement, though he slay me, I will trust in him. 
Though he slay me, I will trust in him. Let me ask, when somebody, when somebody comes to you and they speak truth, what happens inside? I mean, what starts stirring? What starts going on? See, a lot of times we power up, don't we? And we, we amp up. This is what's happening with the religious leaders here. You know, we, we start looking around. We start looking for evidence as to why they're wrong. And yet we have to remember that sometimes the best things for us could be very painful for us. Right? The world of medicine. I don't know. One of our kids took medicine yesterday, and I just opened the, the children's ibuprofen. I was like, this is like candy. This smells amazing. When I was a kid... Look how old I sound now. When I was a kid, I mean, do you remember taking medicine like in the 1980s? Some of you are like, yeah, wait till, I mean, the 1950s. You should have seen it then, right? But some of the best things for us are the things that we just will not stomach well. Jesus' words to us. If you knew, if you knew, if you had decided he's your authority, then you know what you could do? Even though it doesn't feel good, even though it doesn't always sound good, even though it's difficult, you recognize his character, that it comes from a heart of love to you, the beloved. <clears throat> Finally, implication number nine, the rest of verse 12. But they were afraid of the crowd. There it is again. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. There it is. Their authority came from human beings in their eyes. They were constantly worried about what other people thought of them. <clears throat> in implication number nine, we will either operate from what is true or what is safe. See, this is why we emphasize truth so much. Because if we can't operate from truth, then what's going to always happen is we're going to operate from a place of what's safe. And not safe for everybody, what's safe for us. Right? I want to protect what I want. I want to just keep, every, every, just keep my world comfortable. And this is what the religious leaders were doing. It wasn't operating from what was true. It was operating from what was safe. And what they do? They go away from Jesus. You see them go away from Jesus. This one who promises, I'm with you always. Somehow, these guys are constantly trying to escape because they want to set up camp and be their own authority. Can you sense the massive difference between these two lives? I mean, just listen to the description of one life as we walk through it. God's part of my plans. Fear people. I'm an owner. I'm focused on results. I reject his pursuit. I'm the provider. Crushed. Jesus is his words against us. And I operate in safety. That's the life of somebody who clings to authority and says, I know best. And it is a massive difference from the life described, from the life that placing Jesus' authority pictures. I'm part of his plans. I fear him. I'm a steward. I emphasize cultivating and taking care of roots. I recognize his pursuits of me. I operate from provision. I'm broken. I'm broken, and I need him. I need his comfort. I need his healing. I need his picture of growth. And his words are for us. And I operate from truth. Isn't that a different life? It's a completely 
different life. I, I guess the whole, as I looked at all these observations, these were just notes I made as I went through it. Here's where I finally landed. That we can, we can either reject his authority and lose ours, or we can lose ours and gain his. Do you remember what Jesus did in the Great Commission? When he sent the disciples out, you know what he gave them? Authority. I mean, the Spirit would descend on them, and then disciples would go out with his authority. See, you and I don't want the authority that we think we want. And Jesus doesn't give us what we want. He gave us what we need. He says, look, if you'll make me your authority, you'll have my authority as you go out into the world and you make disciples. The end of, in the end of, book of John, uh, the book of John, Jesus, remember his conversation with Peter? Simon, when you're young, you know, you did whatever you wanted. You went wherever you want. But when you're old, you know what? Other people are going to dress you. They're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And this was obviously an indication of Peter's death. And then Jesus said, follow me. And I went, gosh, after you say it that way, Jesus, I just don't know. And yet, and yet, it's a much fuller, it's a much richer life, isn't it? To give him authority. So, a couple months, a couple months later, after I got the tour of West Bowles, this lady that I recognized came up after service. And I went, oh my goodness, it's my tour guide. She came to church. (laughs) She said, Nathan, why didn't you tell me you were the pastor of this place? (laughs) And I thought, well, two things. One, because I got to see our church through the eyes of somebody new. And I got to see what somebody experiences when they show up here, how they experience our congregation, how they experience the body of Christ, what they notice. But number two, and I, gotta, I told her, I got to be honest, it had a lot more to do with me than it did with you in letting my authority go. And I didn't say it with the word, with the word authority, but letting go of my need to tell you who I was, I experienced the way God views people. That there's a sense of compassion that comes up inside all of us when we say, Jesus, you're my authority. I'm not going to be my authority. You know what happens? He begins to give you his eyes, his mind, his heart, even his hands for people. That is why you let go of your authority in order to gain his. So I know there's a lot of implications. It was a long list today. Come back to this passage this week. I'd invite you to consider, Lord, who is Lord of my life? Show me. Show me really who is Lord of my life. And if you don't like the answer to that, let's talk. Let's talk. That in mind, I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, and we have no idea. We have no idea the depths you have gone to pursue us. And yet, In your word, we get to hear from our Savior himself just how much you love us. And so, Lord, whatever's going on in our hearts that still clings to our authority, that has a hard time being led around, Lord, you got to deal with that. We can't do it. We can only bring it to you. We can only bring it into the light and know that you don't judge us for that. Instead, like the father of the prodigal son, you say, welcome home. Welcome home. And so, Lord, 
deal with those things in our hearts, illuminate them to us. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you for all that you've poured out into our lives. And Lord, let us just see the grand implications of all of it. Of your heart for us, expressed through your son, what he did on the cross, but then in the giving of your spirit, that we'd walk out these doors and be able to have your authority as we go and make disciples. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.